I think one of the best decisions, I don't know if it's decision, but one of the best decisions we ever made was our first few hires and just how strong they were and how much they embodied the type of person that we wanted um, to come to the company. And it yep. has been a self-fulfilling prophecy that the level of talent that we've been able to attract has just been from day one until now, people that like we are so proud are actually working at the company. And yep. that has been an advantage throughout. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. This week, I spoke with Brian and Scott Rudolph, brothers and co-founders of Bonza. In just a decade, they've made chickpea pasta mainstream and expanded into other comfort food categories like pizza, mac and cheese, and protein waffles. I learned about the core values and important lessons that have fueled Bonza's growth. I hope you find Brian and Scott as inspiring as I did. Ooh. Well, uh, very grateful. Scott is eight years older than me. So I think when we were growing up, the idea that we could possibly work together was just insane, right? Like if you imagine me at five and Scott at, oh God, quick math, 13. It's <laughs> just like at very different stages always. And so when when I was 23 and Scott was 31 and I was able to rope him in to, to do this with me, it was just such a cool thing. Always looked up to Scott. And yeah, I think we're now almost 10 years into this, which is crazy. But it's been amazing and very grateful for it. Yeah. So Brian, if you can do math. Brian is now older than I was when I start when we started, and at the time he called me an old man. Interesting. <laughs> See, so, got to own up to it, man. Now, yes, it always, we're both, it we're always both catches old. up, man. Brian, you got you always <laughs> catches up. All those guys that called me old, and now they're all old too. So, see, that is that is interesting, but it's pretty cool knowing that you were that far apart in age, and now you're. You're working together. Brian, tell me about how it all started. Fonza now, today, and, and the brand, which I love and so many people do. How did it come about? I mean, you were you were young. Yeah. So where should I don't I don't even know where to begin with this question. Intentionally open-ended. So I had moved to Detroit through a program called Venture for America. The idea is to have recent college grads move to cities that they may not have otherwise moved to in hopes of joining the startup ecosystem and um, programs still around. It's great if you want an on-ramp into entrepreneurship. And while I was there, got the bug, decided I want to start a business and um, was playing around with all these different ideas, really thought I would start a technology business. But I also have some food sensitivities and I uh, was making a bunch of things for myself in my kitchen. And one of them was a pasta made from chickpeas. And I had recognized, wait, to have a large impact on the world doesn't necessarily have to be in technology. In fact, food can be a way to have an even larger impact. Uh, I was very inspired by what Chubani had done in yogurt, where you know, they completely changed the yogurt category for the better. Yogurt at one point was super sugary, not as nutritious as it could have been. And then Shabani came in with both a higher protein, lower sugar, popular version of yogurt. And I just realized, you know what? A pasta made from chickpeas actually has a lot in common with that. It's higher in protein, lower in carbs, high in fiber, less allergenic. What if we could do the same thing? And probably have a, a really positive impact on the way that people eat. So yeah, went from making it in my kitchen to convincing Scott to join me on the journey. And yeah, we did a whole bunch of stuff in the early days to get the word out, which I'm sure we can talk about between doing a reality TV show, we were part of a documentary, literally anyone who had listened to us, we would talk to. <laughs> I got to go side. And just to preference this, 
I know Scott. We've played basketball for years until he ended up leaving New York City for the suburbs. But in any case, I will say he always had a ton of energy and we were talking about that. So everyone called him Bonza and it was he was definitely a good promotional person for the product. But but going back to thinking about you can thank Brian for that, by the way. It's all the posture. It's all the pasta. Yeah. Well, that that's why I stocked up after I saw how much this kid <laughs> was running and how like he never was tired. And then I had to stock up uh, my cabinets and it works. So tell me about this, Brian. So in your early 20s, you're thinking you get the bug. Everyone thinks technology. I love the fact that you're thinking, you know what? Food is is a way to change the world. We had Ethan Brown on the show and and actually just recently the guy who started Stonyfield yogurt who was one of the the originators with organic and it's really cool that you did that but when you're thinking about this and especially when you're thinking about a product a food product like technology it's a lot different, right? You're programming, you're creating food. There's so much that goes into this, right? From first off, the product, how it tastes, how you package it. At the time, were you, was it, were you anxious about like really building this as opposed to maybe just building a technology business? Yeah, definitely. I think. I had spent all this effort, you know, as the first employee at a technology startup and spent all this effort trying to understand what kind of technology business would be interesting to build. And then one day it was like, you know what? And I think what what led me to this path also was someone had asked me, it's funny now that we're nearing in on 10 years, the question, but they basically said, if you knew that you had to work on this thing for 10 years, would you do it? And I think as I was playing through all these different ideas, you know, a lot of them, it was just sort of like, yeah, that's intellectually interesting, but like not something that I'm super passionate about. And even if it's, there are inherent challenges to building a food business relative to a technology business, right? Like definitely agree with that. But I think recognizing that it's also such a personal passion and also everyone eats food, right? Like it's just, it's such a universal products that, I don't know, I think the excitement for doing something that I really care about and really think can change people's lives for the better, that superseded the fears. I would say in many ways, we were naive to the challenges that there would be in actually building a food company. But it seemed so obvious. Because if you look around the world, there's precedent for people eating legumes every day and it driving positive health outcomes and sustainability. And from our perspective, we were looking at Americans and Brian may have been serving me beans for breakfast when I stayed over his apartment, but we didn't necessarily think that was something that was going to catch on. And so we looked and said, if you could take chickpea flour that looks like regular flour and make all the products that Americans love. The question was, why wouldn't everyone eat it? And so it was kind of just more like, why wouldn't this work? And like we had more reason to believe in the large opportunity, which helped us work through that naivete on like every possible challenge that would we would face on the way to it. And we're still just scratching the surface. People aren't eating enough limits. Yeah, long way to go. Let, <laughs> let me ask you, because you raise a great point and and you're closing in on 10 years. And, and 10 years ago, there was a lot different landscape. I mean, since you started, there's been a lot more, I don't know what you'd call it, and obviously not my business, but thinking healthy food or, or foods that are really, or people are, are, are much more concerned about things like sustainability, things about what they're putting in their bodies. You were way ahead of the game. At the time, Scott, when when Brian came to you, was there any 
did you just jump in and were like, this is this, I'm doing this? Like, cause you were working, right? And you, you were on your path. What was it that made you decide to go into business with your brother? The timing was really good for me, actually, because a few years earlier, while I was working in private equity, I had helped my roommate from college start a water business. And over that time, had learned essentially how the experience I had could be applied to helping a startup grow. And I had already recognized through the years of working that I enjoyed spending more time on the business side versus the finance side. And so initially, I was helping Brian more so as a mentor and providing advice. And it hadn't dawned on me to actually be more involved until Brian said, well, what if we just did this together? And it was very persuasive. And given, we, as Brian said, we're eight years apart. He was 10 when I left for college. I had always wanted to have that type of relationship with my brother. And it just seemed like the natural thing. I was like, I wanted him to be messing around and fighting with me as a kid. Figured why not do it when we're adults? <laughs> <laughs> I do love that because, and I can definitely relate because I have a brother. We are not in business together. He's an artist. I'm much more of an entrepreneur type, but he was 10 years older or nine years older than me. And it is interesting because by the time Brian is in, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, you're out of the house, right? And I've always, I always missed that relationship with my brother. It was almost like I grew up without my brother, but fortunately we've, be, we've become closer, not through business, but over the years, you realize that. But that had to be, I love that you said that, that like to be able to work with your brother. And how has that been? over these last 10 years or almost 10 years. How has that, has that helped your relationship? Has it been tough at times? What's it like working with your brother? Truthfully, it has been the most rewarding experience. And so even before we started, I observed him maturing in his first job and recognized how uniquely talented and passionate he was. And I believed in his ability to be the North Star of driving towards this ambitious vision. Working together, I didn't know what it was going to be like. And if I even think back to our first conversation when he asked, I said at the time, this is your baby. Let's try it out and let's see how we work together. And it's funny, like I think back, we never shared a bed as kids. We didn't go to the gym together. We didn't sleep over each other's places. Within months, we got to experience all of these different kind of brother experiences, including we did have one big fight. Insane blow-up fight. It was one insane <laughs> blow-up fight. It you got to tell me about the fight. What was the fight? It was about nothing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I actually don't remember what it was about. Literally and the, part, the only thing I remember is our first employee who had joined our team was sitting with us, and it was a little uncomfortable for him. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> but that was that was the last real fight we had. And I think we've benefited throughout from not thinking of this as a family business and really trying to be professional and also having similar family values from our parents. And in many cases, that allowed, has allowed us to just trust each other and also kind of play to each other's complementary strengths. And in many ways, it shifted what we work on over time. Yeah, you know, talk talk to me about your parents and, and growing up together, obviously, different time periods. And you may have seen even parents when it's eight, 10 years apart change. But like, give me an idea of, Brian, you seem extremely mission driven, which I love where you said them. It really seems like there's a, I want to change the world for the better. Does this come from growing up from your parents? It was this, where do you think that that drive comes from? I have to think about that one. Scott, what do you think? I feel like we... I would say that there's a lot of similarities between 
our grandfather was highly entrepreneurial. I think Brian learned a lot from him. But I'd also say both Brian and my dad have a way of, if they are passionate about something, and they are both idealistic in their view of doing good, if they are passionate and they are doing good, they're a force. And so I do think a lot of it, like if Brian is committed to something, he he gets it done. And I see a lot of that coming from our parents. And obviously, the importance of food came from our family throughout and enjoying food that we can enjoy together. Yep, that's true. I mean, family holidays and extended family gathering, I think that was so many amazing memories growing up from that. And I think being able to work in an industry that provides those sorts of experiences for people is really special. So yeah, I think that's probably part of it too. I'd say our parents were a little confused when both of us were leaving our jobs to start <laughs> chickpea more so, company. Yeah, more so Scott than me. I was 23 and literally had <laughs> had nothing <laughs> to claim. But what I think when yeah, when I convinced Scott to to leave a real job, I think they were like, "Wait, we're doubling down on chickpea pasta? Like <laughs> what is happening here?" Yes, our our mom did say to me are you sure it's okay that he's starting a chickpea pasta company? I was like, actually, I'm doing it with him. (laughs) To that, it was a little bit of a, well, I guess you're both going to either ride the ship or go down with it. Yeah, and I'm sure now, (laughs) after they've seen all the success and and just even at the time as a parent now and thinking back, you're thinking maybe ahead to having uh, two daughters and for one day for them to be close enough or even to work together. Cause I mean, they're teenage girls now and all they do is fight with each other, but that's pretty cool. I'm sure your parents, it's one thing about building a business together with your brother. It's another about actually sharing the same values, having the same mission. And it sounds like, you were very aligned and it sounds like a lot of that comes from from them so i assume at the time as nervous they were with scott leaving his his private equity job and getting out there i'm sure that for me i know as a a parent you know what life's about like i'd be really excited about that they definitely agree and it's been, it's, it's been fun doing it together. And frankly, Brian and I have had the opportunity to demo in grocery stores with our dad throughout from the early years. Yeah. And essentially, when they go into stores and fix shelves, I I get a complaint from a retailer. I tell them, good luck stopping our mom from fixing a shelf. Uh, she, is ten- <laughs> she is tenacious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, we should have brought her on. I, I love that. She's in there cleaning up, fixing up, making sure you guys are getting... End cap displays, I bet, throwing them. Yeah. <laughs> whether whether oh, you're yeah. getting them through the retailer or she's putting them there, but let's talk about the business now. So you start this company, you come together, you create it. As I said, a food product business. That there's so many, and, and and as I just told you, I had Gary Hirschfeld on from Stonyfield, which was years ago when he started, and it was like years, years before people were even buying his product, but he stuck with it. And I forget now, but it was like six, seven years. And, and, you know, at that time it was all new organic, but like, tell me about, was there some initial, like, what was the biggest challenges you faced and were able to get over early on? Ooh. Yeah. We had some real challenges because there was no precedent for chickpea pasta. There was no chickpea pasta before we started. And as a result, figuring out how to go from kitchen to a product in a box that was made at a manufacturing plant had some real scale-up challenges, not made in the exact same way that regular pasta is. And yeah, we had just gone on this reality TV show where it went pretty well, if not unnecessarily dramatic, where there was a negotiation and a box of pasta was thrown on the table, ripped apart and, you know, all all the things. But 
on that show, we had raised money from you know, one of the judges. And when we tried to scale up at a manufacturing plant, uh, we just had tons and tons of issues. Run after run was just mushy pasta. Not something that we would ever feel comfortable selling. It was like really not even close to the quality that you could get in a kitchen. And yeah, I think we had a moment where we felt like unsure if the company would survive because we had burned through all the money that we had raised. It was almost seeming impossible that you could actually make this product at scale. I remember like, I think somehow at like the most dramatic moment, we were driving up to the manufacturing plant for what we thought was our last possible run. And on the way, I started getting this pain in my side. And it turned out that I was like in the process of getting kidney stones, which is just so insane. So we're on the way to the plant for what is our last possible attempt at, at producing our product before we, we are like unsure if the company can survive. And then we have to U-turn and or no, we actually ended up at the plant. We were th- sitting there waiting for the product to come out. And I was like, no, 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 like, I'm not going to be okay. Like, we have to go to an emergency room. Uh, Scott is like, no, you're fine. Just fight through it. <laughs> and fully you're trying to, to... You're not supposed to Google your symptoms and see what comes up. But I guess you're sure. Right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Scott was fully convinced that I, I could just battle through the kidney stones. We uh, ended up missing the initial samples off that production run because we went to the emergency room. Everything was fine. It passed. It's not very painful. painful. Then, oh, the, yes. Oh, yes. Yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we then go back to the, the manufacturing plant. The product is like marginally better, but not actually still up to par. Like we were still not feeling comfortable with where it was. So we spent like, I don't know, it must have been 24 hours in a kitchen, just like figuring out if there was any way that you could cook it, that it would be okay. Right. So we, in an ideal scenario, you cook our product exactly like you would cook regular pasta. So we started with like, okay, what if you cook it three minutes? What if you cook it four minutes, five minutes? And then we're like, okay, what if you just have it sit in hot water, not even boiling water? And it turned out that that made it passable. And I think for this initial PO, we stickered like 30, 40,000 boxes, something like that in a very short period of time to meet the date of the PO with new cooking instructions that said bonza is easier to cook than regular pasta. Just put it in hot water. And we developed like a fan base amongst campers. I remember that. Uh, there, were, there were some campers. When we finally made the product better, there were some campers who wrote in. They're like, no, I love this. Like, please. <laughs> But truthfully, most people don't read cooking instructions, even with stickers. So we felt a very urgent need to to fix it. And we did. A few months later, we got the product into a better place. And but yeah, the journey of continuous improvement and product development never ends for us, in part because it is a product that has no precedent. And so we really need to constantly fight to make it better. How and started there. It, how hard was that for you at at the time, I don't know how far into the business were you at this point? Was this a year, a couple of years? Was this when you were... It was like maybe five months. So we had... So the, the timeline was... It was very quick. It was all very quick. So September 2013, I started making it in my kitchen. We did a crowdfunding campaign December of that year. January 2014, we we're like, you know what, let's form an LLC. Like, this seems like it could be a real thing because the crowdfunding campaign went well. Two days later, we heard from a reality TV show that was like, hey, we're starting this new thing. It's going to be on CNBC. It'll be a lot like Shark Tank. Do you want to do it? And we're like, sure. Okay. <laughs> Didn't have a name yet, but we decided, I think it was tentatively called Marketplace and it ended up being called Restaurant Startup, which was also hilarious because we were not a restaurant business. That ended up filming in March or April of 2014. We it, it went well. So we used the momentum from that to then get our first retail opportunities. We launched in Meyer and Italy at the same time, two very different retailers. Mm. And so, yeah, we, we sold in and it must have been April or May. And then we were like, okay, we have to figure out how to make a lot of pasta really quickly. And that... June and July was when we tried to scale it up, had all the issues, ended up shipping late July. We launched August 
5th, 2014, when the show aired. And the stores were carrying the product like maybe a few days later. So yeah, it was a definitely a, a crazy year, but we also definitely wanted to figure out if this was a concept that had legs, we might as well figure it out as soon as possible. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. There is more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped them fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we're back. Was there a time early on? And that was that was very early on. And you know, you're going through the just struggles of having a good product. Was there a time you thought about maybe like like Brian, maybe you were like, I should build a tech startup. And Scott, you're <laughs> like, maybe I should go back to private equity. Did you guys ever... I know it was early, so it wasn't as long, but did you ever consider that? There was a couple of things that happened. One, we had made a good product with a small co-packer that was much better than the product that we ultimately made with the larger co-packer. So we knew we could make a better product. And we also had participated in a couple pitch competitions and had won some additional funds through that and driven a little bit more exposure. And in September of that year, we went to our first trade show. And at the show, like, and I don't even know, like, it didn't, I think later finding out it wasn't normal how many retailers were excited about it. And so like, we always had just, the future was always so bright that the current challenges just seemed like this is just how part of the path. And I think throughout the thing that we developed, and it's a little bit of kind of our philosophy to building in the space is that building a food business is so hard on the back end from the manufacturing product, how you get it to market. And that part of it is, I think a lot of companies celebrate that part and then they get it on shelf and once it's on shelf it's a question of like that's really when the game starts is once you're on shelf and can you figure out a way to reach the consumer in a unique way and grow your business and so what we learned was there's a tremendous amount of noise in building a food company but if we could take out that noise and look at and say this is why we believe in the long term and the long term in the case of pasta could be We're just going to be the best legume pasta, or we're going to be the best gluten-free pasta, or we're going to be the best better for you, or we're going to be the best regular pasta. And in each one of those cases, that implies a different level of what your potential is. And instead of just blindly believing in that, what we did instead is we said, all right, it's really hard to see, I guess, have blind faith. Instead, we go directly to the consumer. So in our case, it was you know, Brian launching an Eastern market, which is a farmer's market in Detroit, or our team being demoing in grocery stores. And the goal there wasn't just drive awareness in a small community opportunity. It was, all right, there's a million questions of what's the right way to grow. What's the right price point? What's the right messaging? What's the right packaging? What's the right, you know, all these points of friction. But if you can is someone going to introduce it to their kid the right way? Are they going to cook it the right way? Are they going to remember to steep it instead of boil it? And so essentially our view was if you take out all of that noise and say, I'm going to prepare it the way I want to prepare it, I'm going to walk into a store or Eastern market and A-B test all the different ways I could try to get people to come try the product and once they try it to buy it and once they buy it to repeat. The goal was always take out all the friction. So all the reasons why we might later think it was because of this or just this, and just figure out a way to drive the highest possible numbers as fast as possible in that controlled environment. And then we'll figure out the details of how do we actually execute getting to there everywhere. 
How, how hard was that initially? And did you have at the very beginning, the first couple of years before you really kind of took off, was it just both of you who were testing the product and like, I know you're not food scientists, I don't believe, but you know, was it both of you who were like just working on the product? Did you have advisors who were helping you how to get into retailers, how to like, or was this all just like you learn this day in, day out on your own? Yeah, I think it was, we were pretty fearless in reaching out to literally anyone and everyone that we could learn from. So I remember looking up like old research papers on legume pastas and uh, trying to see who wrote them, then reaching out to them. And that was one small example of, sorry, my dog is literally, she just attacked me. Uh, hold on, get out of here, get out of here. Sorry about that. So, so that was one example, but I think in each scenario, it was because there was no precedent, we had to learn from other people. And yeah, I'm Scott. I'm we sure reached out to as well. I mean, we essentially reached, we wanted to learn from Chobani. We wanted to learn from other companies that had successfully built a subcategory of either a nutritionally superior version of a commodity product or a specialty version. And so we reached out cold at shows at every possible way to build a network to start to fill in how would the industry do this and yeah. to have that like we never we felt like we're always going to choose our own path but we can't do that unless we first figure out what would 10 other people do and so we kind of built our own perspective there and we consistently reached out to mentors and used that as an opportunity and i think the other part you asked on the team side we i think one of the best decision, I don't know if it's decision, but one of the best decisions we ever made was our first few hires and just how strong they were and how much they embodied the type of person that we wanted to come to the company. And it yep. has been a self-fulfilling prophecy that the level of talent that we've been able to attract has just been from day one until now, people that like we are so proud are actually working at the company. And yep. that has been an advantage throughout. That's got to be because I found just in in working and building businesses, the hardest thing, at least in in my little entrepreneur career, has been talent, finding the right people, good people, and it it's not by mistake. Like I, I would imagine, like going back to like you said, like the values of your folks and and what they taught you, and then it seems like to me also with the product that you were creating that maybe not it's easier because it's always hard to find good people, but it seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you probably were able to bring in some people who really had a mission as well and wanted to, to help. And I assume whenever you have anyone who has a mission and, and is on a mission, it's kind of the next level of building a business just to build a business. Was, was that those first few people really involved? Totally agree. Yeah. So that, I think that's, that's a hundred percent right. And, you know, it's the flip side of, of uh, having chosen to build a, a business that will be difficult, right. Is we've been really fortunate to be able to hire amazing people and it continues to this day. Tell me about just moving on in terms of scaling, right. And, you said you crowdfunded, you, you Venture America, right? Was uh, initially, and then you found the challenges which so many entrepreneurs find where they've got this great idea, great product or business, but they're running out of money and they can't, their receivables aren't coming and they can't pay their bills. And you were able to raise a, a significant amount of money following just even that first on-air investment of 75K, right? What was it that, or who was it, or, or where did it come from where you all of a sudden were able to go to raising, I think, 
seven and a half million dollars as opposed to really struggling just to get dollars to to get this off the ground was there one incident was there one account you landed or what was it i don't know if it was one individual thing but i think we kind of in many ways we made our own luck right so with eastern market we got a sense for what was working use that to so if you're trying to sell your product at a farmer's market, you very quickly learn what people will listen to and what they'll run away from. And our initial packaging was nothing like what it is today. And we made a lot of adjustments based on the feedback that we got. So once we optimized our packaging, that had a really big impact on shelf sales, right? This bright orange package relative to a sea of blue in pasta, it really stood out and did us a lot of favors. But in addition to that, we, like Scott said, you know, we did a ton of demos in the early days to quickly become the number one pasta in Fairway. And having that claim under our belt, and it's not like we were hiding that we did a ton of demos, right? Like we did. And even then, if you could become the number one pasta, that's awesome. And so we, we were able to leverage that to get better shelf placement when we next went into retail stores and basically saying, you know, we're the number one pasta in this theoretical region of the country that sets trends. So you you should give us a real shot at success. And if a retailer didn't give us that chance, if they said, you know, I'm only going to carry one item, I'm only going to put it, you know, on the bottom shelf, we'd say no. But we did end up getting some opportunities that did take a chance on us. Some retailers even that normally wouldn't take a chance on an early uh, stage business. And I think it was that initial momentum that showed the promise of what the company could become, even if we did everything we could to influence the outcome, that just proved out that this is a company that that could be have a real impact and, and scale. Yeah, how, how you talked about Meyer, I, I understand. And, and for those that don't, Meyer's a, a big grocery chain, I think mostly Midwest. But Italy, that's like the high end of, of Italian like you have to have incredible pop. How did that come about? Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, so amazing that we launched in the opposite accounts, right? Like Meyer, I was living in Detroit and Meyer is where I did my grocery shopping. But Italy is like, to your point, gourmet of gourmet. People will go to Italy when they're visiting New York City because it is like one of the top tourist destinations. So we were fortunate. It, it's one of the benefits of having done that reality TV show. One of the judges was a part owner of Italy and made the introduction. So yeah, you know, the benefits of putting yourself out there and talking to anyone who will listen and maybe even getting embarrassed on reality TV show in a few different ways, it's still worth it relative to otherwise, we, who knows if we'd be able to get into Italy and have that de facto endorsement of this is not just a uh, a product that will be in grocery, but also can be super high end. Yeah. I, I, the yeah. other... Go ahead. Sarah. Yeah. So the other thing to add there would be, because you asked kind of about why were we confident on the financial side and why were we willing or how we were able to raise money? A lot of it was we had this big thematic vision. We spent our time essentially creating case studies that showed if we had that shelf space, if we were able to reach more people, this is how many people would buy after at full price. So not just on a promotion. And we figured out how to raise our baseline in those stores to a point where we were moving up the ranks of pasta. And then on top of it, two things that were important from the beginning. One, we built relationships with our suppliers and partners where we told them about the entire vision, told them how much you know, we're a small company. If we put all our money into working capital, we're not. We're going to need a lot more of it, and we're not going to be able to realize this vision. And so we asked them from the beginning to help us with longer payment terms than they otherwise would ever consider. And part of it was we weren't buying much, so it wasn't such a big ask. So it was good that we asked early. And then the second part, which Brian said, talked about on the retail side, and I'm not sure that it some it endeared us to, some it didn't, which was. We didn't want to take risk on go, going on shelf and paying money up front just to see what happened. So we we essentially said no to almost everything from a, we will not 
the contract has to be super simple. We can't pay upfront fees. We essentially just, we will put all of our effort into making it a success. But if you believe in this, like we believe in it, then you'll give us the chance. And it helped a lot on both the receivables and on the payable side to have favorable working capital terms from the beginning. It's so important when you look at any business and you have this incredible product and, and something that, as you've seen over the years, has, has really grown and, and gotten out there and blown up. But like, if it wasn't for those initial relationships you developed with suppliers or them, it just shows how important is being an entrepreneur it is to have relationships, whether it's suppliers, vendors, clients, and really them trusting you and, and you trusting them. And it seems like that was kind of as good as your product is, like no matter what, if you didn't do those things, there might not be a Bonza today is the way I look at it, no matter how good it was. Totally agree. Yeah. So let me ask you, now looking ahead and the time we have left and, and where you are, tell me about the growth, the new products, and what is the vision uh, down the road? And again, you know, you guys have been at this 10 years, which is probably like to you both, oh my God, 10, you know, but it goes quick. Right, just like Scott, you said Brian. Now he's the old man, or but it, it goes quick. But but tell me about what is that? What is that vision, and and where do you see yourself? Yeah. So the initial thought behind our pasta was that chickpeas are uh, high in protein, lower in carbs. They're also great for the environment. They're they fix nitrogen in the soil, so it's an alternative for you end up requiring less synthetic fertilizers as a result. And they're also just super efficient. They require very few inputs. So of all the foods you can eat, chickpeas are amongst the most sustainable. And with that in mind, knowing the, the human health and environmental benefits of, of the product, the, the vision is to, to look at all foods that are made from wheat and see if they can instead have a version that's made from beans, made from chickpeas. So we started with pasta. We extended into mac and cheese. We have a pizza. And then most recently, waffles, which is super fun. So it's our first time making a breakfast food, but it follows all the same sort of, follows the exact same framework where it's high in protein, uh, it's lower in carbs, high in fiber. And we recognize that that's actually like a, a great way to start your day. And you know, a lot of people were in just open-ended interviews saying, I don't have a breakfast option I'm super excited about. I wish I had something that was faster. I wish I had something that was more nutritious. Like nothing it was really hitting the trifecta for a lot of people. So our hope was that a waffle would be an interesting way to fill that void for people. And, you know, it's only been maybe a month and a half since it's been out, but really exciting results so far. And yeah, but to the point on how we think about innovation, we're also very, just like we talked about how, like we frequently say no to retail opportunities if they're not right. We're very, very patient with new innovation. Um, right now, it's only in Whole Foods. We want to, even if it's already doing great, we still want to hone in on what's working, uh, see what kind of feedback we can get in these first six months before really thinking about what to do next. So yeah, I guess that was a combination of a vision and strategic answer. But um, yeah, no. we... Also, yeah. the long-term North Star remains, which is we believe in each one of these categories. If you can deliver on a similar experience, an nutritionally superior version, and try to get to an affordable price point, obviously it's a more expensive ingredient, but with that nutritionally superior food, we believe that the opportunity in each category is much larger. And at the same time, 
the industry has trans, you know, changed a tremendous amount over the years we've been here. Like we feel like we're just scratching the surface on kind of learning on how everything works and how you can best set up a business model for the future. And we're super excited while also recognizing that, you know, the next decade has a lot of challenges just like the last decade did. But again, that I think maybe it's that long-term optimism and real, real-time realism that allows us to both be grounded and think long-term and just think anything can happen. Should put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> maybe it's a new business. Uh, I might go start. So I will say, and I'll let you guys go, but you know, as successful as you've been, and I'm really curious, it seems like to me, even if it, it wasn't as successful, but you spent the 10 years, when it comes, comes down to it, maybe it's, I'm just getting older, but it's, it's having that relationship and, and friendship that you guys have, brotherhood, I guess you would call it like, to me, it sounds like no matter what happened or wherever, like it would have been worth it. Like just in terms of in life in general, you know, like I, that's one of the best things that's happened to me, me and my brother, although we're complete opposites have become much closer. We don't work together, but really as far as relationships in my life, that's especially as the older generation and our parents have left. It's to me that that must be what is a big part of you guys continuing on this journey together. And it seems like you would do it regardless. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like you're giving a lot of perspective and we appreciate it. I don't know if we like reflect on it as often as maybe we should, but you're totally right. I think we're, you know, probably way closer than we, we otherwise could have been especially given we had that age gap, right? Just like you were saying, where I think for each of us had moments growing up where we felt like only children, just given oh, whether right. Scott was in college or I was a baby, <laughs> one of the two. But yeah, we're really fortunate and it's been a fun journey to your point. And that's, that's what it's all about. So, Well, if I can give any endorsement, as I said, I used to play a lot of basketball with Scott before he... <laughs> He left uh, for the suburbs, and I will tell you, out of everyone, everyone called him Bonza, and he had the most energy by far of anyone, and probably turned a lot of people in that gym into uh, Bonza uh, eaters and supporters. And I'm going to leave you, Scott, with one question, because I have had a couple of uh, other super successful entrepreneurs who happened to have played with us at Equinox, Reebok. And the question I have for you, Brian, I, I don't know if you, you can answer this, but, but for Scott, if you had to compare one part of your basketball game to one part of how you run a business, what would you say, where is it that those two things align and how would you you compare it? Well, one thing, I hope I'm better at business than <laughs> basketball. But <laughs> I think generally, it's really just about recognizing what's the best way for me to help the team. And so in basketball, it is more, I don't shoot very well. So it's more that if I can have a good plus minus on offensive rebounds to get other people shots. In business, it's really been about how do I try to use my experience to help to empower others? And in the case of leveraging previous experience in finance, it's how do I connect the dots for them and provide them with actionable intelligence to support their decisions? And so that's... And our general philosophy at Bonza has been more of build a team, kind of how the Warriors did and more of the Draymond Green model of... How do you best jigsaw together talent and ad essentially adjust the organizational structure to fit the talent versus the other way around? Definitely. And I love the analogy because I think in all of sports, that's the key to success, whether it's basketball or football or 
It's utilizing the talent you have and putting them in the right positions. And it sounds like you guys, I know you guys have done that. And it's really been incredible personally from seeing it when I first met you years ago and and the success you've had and and how it's just like a household name now. You know, I'm walking down the street and I see Bonza on top of a cab. That's pretty funny because that's Scott and I'll be playing basketball with them tomorrow. But in any case, <laughs> seriously, uh, congratulations. I definitely expect to see you guys continue to grow and develop. And it's finally nice, Brian, to meet you. And I can see how you guys can work well together and bringing those different talents and, and best of luck moving forward. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the kind words, and yeah, excited to stay in touch. And maybe we'll we'll have to find a way to all play basketball at some point soon. Yeah, I got I got to <laughs> see what your game. Uh, you know, I, I and uh, Scott gave his perfect analysis of his game, and and I love it because I'm the same way, and I'm more of a help the team, do what I can do, and hustle. And to me, in business, like that is what really it's about picking yourself off the mat issues hustling helping the team it's kind of funny some of the other responses i've gotten which i'll have to let you know about another time but in any case yeah we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get out for a game i'll get you guys some passes now to, to equinox we'll bring you back people would love to see you brian uh, scott and of course me brian but I'm sure I'll be reading a lot about you guys and continue to have such great success and and really be on a mission to change the way people are eating, especially having young kids or, or teenagers now and seeing the shit they eat and having the opportunity to, to eat healthy. And it's just, it's just so important. So thanks again. My kids are the case study on seven days a week of Bonza. <laughs> and when you do invite us, I promise to bring t-shirts and more boxes than the gym can fit. I love that. <laughs> I, I, I tell my, my kids that as they devour all their Halloween candy now, and I see sugar patch kids and junk like that all over the place, we're going to get them healthy. So thanks again, fellas. Great talking right. to you. Continued success. Thanks, thanks for having us. Bye. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.